0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at
2: meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: So what are you supposed to do
2: between each Gadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts. Or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and joining me as guest co-host today is Senior Editor Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Good. Well, sort of. Well, this week has been kind of a crazy week in tech news. Uh, To say the least, yeah. Yeah, I feel like things are shifting under us as we speak. Clearly, this week, we're going to have to talk about the fact that Elon Musk sort of owns Twitter now. I say Mm -hmm. sort of because I feel like there's still regulatory approval that's going to happen.
1: They're still waiting for the, you know, approvals, uh, the deal to close, which probably won't happen until sometime later this year. But yeah, absolutely.
3: Exactly. We've got couple of guests coming to join us to talk about this, this episode. And we're also going to talk about some other stuff like the Android 13 beta that dropped this week, as well as some other Google prototype news. As always, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe to us on your podcast catcher of choice. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And if you have time, you can come join us every Thursday morning at about 10 a.m. Eastern. We're usually live streaming the -the behind-the-scenes recording of this show on the Engadget YouTube channel. And starting today, also on the Engadget TikTok account. So if that's more your speed, head on over there Thursdays at about 10 a.m. Eastern. So this week's been kind of kind of crazy if you follow either Twitter or Elon Musk and basically Twitter accepted Elon Musk's offer to buy it for about $44 billion. Here to break the news down with and for us are Engadget's own senior editor Carissa Bell. Hey Carissa. Hello, hello. Hey and we also have a special guest tech editor at Yahoo Finance Dan Howley. Hey Dan, how's it going?
2: Hey, what's happening?
3: All right, so I I'm gonna start off by asking Carissa to kind of just guide us to this point, like how did we get here? Uh, I think we're all wondering that to some extent. Um, <laughs> if
0: <laughs> if you
3: remember, um, Elon
0: Musk had you know made this this offer that you know sounded very outlandish. Yeah. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, that he wanted to. By Twitter for fifty four dollars and twenty cents a share. You know, before that he had been acquiring shares and became uh, one of the largest stakeholders of the company. So the board had said, you know, they were considering his offer, and then uh, this week they they said that they were accepting it and that they were going private.
3: So they're they're going private, and I think there's a lot of question about where Elon Musk is getting this money, right? Forty four billion is no chump change for anyone. There, I think there were like some rumblings of where he might be getting that money. Carissa, do you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, he he used his uh, his Tesla stock, and then he got you know he got two different kinds of financing from a couple different banks that you know put up a majority of the money.
3: Dan, do you know what the risk is associated with something like this for Tesla to be do uh, for Tesla for Elon to be to be doing this sort of share backed loan?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if if I think the 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 overall is that if Tesla shares do fall mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: past a certain amount. You know he's not going to be able to finance it the way that he wants to, um, and so that would just throw this entire thing uh, out the window. And you know Tesla shares have been sliding as a result of this. You know, well, as a result of innumerable factors, right? Just because it's the it's the stock market, um, you can't really point to one thing. But you know the the overarching message seems to be uh, that you know he only has so much time. He's only one person, and he's got Tesla. SpaceX, the Boring Company, Neuralink, and now this, uh, and he seems to spend a lot of time tweeting, uh, like he's been doing regularly. Uh, so I think people are nervous about whether or not he'll be able to keep up uh, the promises that Tesla has made, namely ramping up their uh, production rate. Um, I think it's five hundred thousand uh, vehicles a year, um, and you know, I mean, they they're going to be uh, be kind of on the back feet. Uh, just because of this, right. uh, and I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from, and that's why we're starting to see that stock slide.
3: I mean, look, Carissa. Y- you, Carissa recently wrote for us a piece about how Elon Musk's bid for Twitter is are as is as well thought out as his tweets. I just thought that was amazing as a headline. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, Dan, but do you agree? Like, this is this didn't seem like he really spent that much time thinking.
2: Yeah, that's an incredible headline, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you know, he, he does tweet, uh, he, he did a Ted talk, I think, uh, last Friday or the Friday prior, um, basically saying that he tweets from the toilet, like
3: cool. Me too,
2: but yeah. So, but you have to think like, you know, this is, this man is the richest person on earth. Um, you know, uh, he's in this like back and forth argument with the other richest person on earth, Jeff Bezos, uh, about, you know, who's able to land, uh, put a lander on the moon and uh, there's lawsuits going on there, or there were lawsuits going on, on over there. Yeah. You know, it, it just feels like he's, he took this idea uh, about trying to take over Twitter uh, and, yeah, just didn't really put too much thought behind how he's going to monetize it further, how he's going to grow its user base. I mean, his whole thing is, seems to be, he doesn't like the fact that. Uh, people can tell him what he can and can't say on a platform. Um, and he had like this, you know, argument, I guess, uh, with uh, Twitter, I guess, at large. And so now he just said, well, I'm not going to take my ball and go home. I'm just going to buy the whole basketball court. And you guys are going to have to play by my rules now. So, you know, it, it really does feel like that's just where this came from. He said he's he's talked. He's you know said it's not about the revenue. That's crazy. You know, I mean, this is this is a company that's supposed to be worth billions. Um, yeah, the, the stock was trading at much higher than 5420 uh, a share uh, last year. And, you know, he's buying it at what is more or less a discount from what it was uh, in 2021. So, you know, it it really is. It doesn't feel like he's made <laughs> put too much thought into this. And you know, there's rumblings that it may not even go through at all.
3: I, I mean, I want to get to that in a little bit, uh, and and I also have something to ask Carissa after this. But Sam, I saw you had like kind of a reaction. I don't know if you wanted to say something.
1: Like you said, like t- t- uh, Elon says, like it's not about the money, and I actually kind of believe him because, like, you- you're right. Like this is like he he wants he he has like picking this weird like um fight in principle against like what he thinks censorship should be on the internet, and he's like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy Twitter and. I'm going to show you how free speech should be instituted uh, online. And that's like a really like wild thing to say because it's like, oh, you know, he had, he's going to, uh, I'm mean, going to assume he's going to change like the way Twitter, you know, works on censorship, you know, because like they, they, there was those, uh, you know, Twitter removed uh, some links to some posts last year. And like, you know, then they had to kind of backtrack and, and it's, it's all very, it's all very nebulous. And then there's some other like more far out things that's like, he wants to authenticate all humans as part of Twitter. Like, what does that mean? And like, you know, Give I think- Give
3: everyone a blue check mark. That's what he means. Right.
1: And I think there's like, he, in his head, he kind of thinks that like, there's something about the ability for people to be anonymous on Twitter that like, oh, you know, anonymous bots are like really a big issue. And, you know, there's, you know, he wants to, you know, increase, um, you know, accountability, which is like, but, you know, even people say a lot of crazy stuff on Twitter now and there's no accountability. So I don't know how he's going to fix that issue. Um, So I don't know. It all seems very strange to me. And then even going back a little bit, like uh, Elon is putting apparently $21 billion of his own cash on the line on top of the other financing and the other debt arrangements, which is like, okay, Um, it must be fun to have that much play money to just like throw around like that. But it's like, and at some point, like the, the, the numbers and the size of these deals, it's just like, it's just hard to think about.
2: I, I want to point out the, the free speech aspect. And it's, it's interesting because it's something, you know, just from covering Section 230 and talking to uh, free speech uh, uh, experts, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that there's this discussion on uh, censorship, um, which is really, you know, it's the negative way to refer to content moderation, Um, which is what it really is. And I think
1: he just had a tweet the other day talking about how truth social, which is Trump's like social media (laughs) thing wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Twitter's, uh, moderation policies, which is like an incredibly wild thing to say. And it's like that I'm not sure makes a lot of sense, but I mean, yeah, go ahead, Dan.
2: Well, I mean, the, the big thing is if he was truly a free speech advocate, then he would be in favor of what Twitter's doing because Twitter is using its own form of free speech to allow what it wants on its site, and that's completely within the bounds of the law. And you know, Section Two Thirty, you know, uh, the the big boogeyman, I guess. Um, you know, whether it can be reformed or not, or needs reform or not, is is for another discussion. But under that, it it isn't a law that protects, you know, companies. It, it protects companies from frivolous lawsuits. That would be thrown out because of the First Amendment to begin with, so it's it's doing exactly what it's meant to do. Twitter is doing exactly what it should do as a company that wants to use its free speech rights. He just doesn't agree with their version of free speech, and you know I think that's something that uh, is part of a larger discussion uh, and points to kind of this this idea that he doesn't really know what he's going to do with this or why because. He's fighting free speech.
1: He's fighting against free speech for free He's speech. He's using money to change free speech, which is, it like, is yeah.
3: Very weird. But I want to get back to Carissa for a second because, look, you also wrote a piece called No One Knows What the Heck is Going to Happen After Elon Buys Twitter. And that's exactly what Dan is saying. Like, he doesn't seem to even know. But you also recently, uh, maybe not this week, but last, uh, uh, wrote about Jack Dorsey's feelings on this issue can you tell us what jack dorsey said
0: yeah i think that was kind of a surprise to some people maybe is that uh jack dorsey came out and was like very emphatic that he thought that elon musk buying twitter was um not only really good but like you know he said that he was going to be able to fix a lot of uh fundamental things that he didn't like he said that elon is the singular solution i trust to lead twitter you know yeah you know he's jack has done this thing lately where he now that he's stepped back as ceo he's Um, And he's gotten, you know, full on his uh, crypto and Web3 stuff. He's talked a lot about how he kind of regrets uh, the role that he played in, like, centralizing these social platforms. Um, And, you know, in in these tweets, he said that he thought, you know, that Twitter shouldn't really be owned by anyone. And, you know, but because it's, yeah, that Elon's going to, like, kind of save it from this, like, Wall Street ad model where they're just sort of, like, tied to metrics and that, you know, he would help spread the global light of consciousness and, you know, all these very kind of like characteristically like Jack Dorsey things to say. Um, but, you know, it was kind of the first time that we've really heard much from him in terms of like his kind of thoughts on this. Um, and then of course, you know, uh, Elon turned around and started assaulting a lot of Twitter employees. So, you know, I'm not sure how how Dorsey's feeling now.
2: <laughs> I just want to say it's interesting that every time someone who worked at Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any social media site once they've made their their billions or millions and billions of dollars, uh, and they can remove themselves from it, then they're apologetic. You know, oh, I I feel bad that I did this, but I'll gladly take my millions and billions of dollars. Yeah. So I I, I never I never buy that yeah. when they're like, oh, it shouldn't be owned by someone, dude. You built this. You're the one who got rich off of it. Yeah. Well, where was the outrage then?
3: And and speaking of riches too, right? Like Sam was, I think, sort of getting at this point, which is that I uh, the idea of taking something private, taking a business private to enforce free speech. And then the fact that no one but billionaires could be the ones with the power and resource to do something like this, to be so fed up with the platform that you're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to buy this thing and, and, and do it the way I want. That's entitlement on a level that I can't even begin to think about. Are these people out of touch to the point where can they even understand what the average Joe user on Twitter wants to use? I mean, uh Carissa, I know that there is Twitter's earnings coming up uh later today as of this recording of the podcast. Do we expect any appearances, any statements, any controversy lined up?
0: Probably not, would be my guess. Um you know, they can they can they canceled their call. Um you know, everything that we've heard of like what's going on inside of Twitter right now. Obviously, there's, you know, people are very apprehensive about what's going on, but you know, there was an all-hands meeting this week and Twitter CEO um, got up and, you know, basically, yeah, Parag had to tell all the employees that, you know, we actually, we don't really know what's going on. The deal is expected to close, I think, in October. And, you know, after that, it's kind of whatever Elon wants. You know, they're like, we don't don't know what's going to go on with the platform. We're hoping that, uh, you know, he might tell us, (laughs) I guess. Um, But so I think that there's just like a lot of uncertainty. Um, You know, I think that there's some, you know, if you're, if you work at Twitter, you're probably very concerned about what happens to your, you know, your stock that you're granted, which is like a big part of how you're, how you're paid. Um, you know, if you work at one of these companies um, and then there's, you know, these, these big existential questions of like how he's going to, is he going to like just get rid of all the content moderation rules? Is it something else? I mean, we just have no way of knowing. And, you know, a lot of people are speculating based on like things that Elon is saying, but until we actually see something more concrete it's just really hard to know like i like I think i've told you before i'm i don't like trying to
3: predict what elon musk is going to do no there's no one no one's going to be able to do that except even elon musk himself might not be able to predict what elon musk is going to do i feel like is is the sense we're getting, um, we we also know that the EU, uh, their internal market commissioner has said publicly in an interview with the Financial Times that Elon Musk's Twitter will still be subject to EU regulations, and there are rules to follow, including just just how they will moderate their content too, right? And we know that the EU has led the way in a lot of these things that protect like data privacy for consumers in general, and they have been effective in like widespread across the world and how websites actually, you know, talk about the the cookies they use on their website, how they're tracking your data. Um, but beyond that, I don't know that we've really seen a lot about what to expect next. I don't think anyone has a good sense. In fact, what are you, uh, you guys, Dan and Carissa, I'll start with Dan. What do you think is going to happen next? Like in the, it, Where we are right now is we're waiting for what? SEC regulatory approval. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so we're, we're still waiting for for regulatory approval uh, and shareholder approval. Um, you know they, that would be you know the, the end of it at that point. but you know t- uh, to, to your point about uh, regulation and, and the EU, uh, we've seen politicians come out uh, here in the US already say it doesn't matter who owns it it's still a massive network that still needs to, to follow certain guidelines. So you know I mean Twitter has always been kind of uh, had this outsized impact. Uh, on the society and and like the discourse, uh, it's got you know, 200 million plus. Uh, I forget what its most recent numbers were. Um, uh, users was it two, two 229 million uh, users uh, as of its latest quarter. That's nothing compared to TikTok. That's nothing compared to uh, uh, Facebook itself, let alone Facebook's family of apps. Uh, I don't know uh, what Pinterest is or or uh, Snap as far as there. That's out-sized. a great point. I
1: was actually like just kind of jumping in on what you're saying. It seems like Twitter has like an outsized influence on social media. And so just to kind of add new numbers, Pinterest, uh, according to Statista, has 444 million uh, monthly active users, which is more than Twitter. Um, TikTok is about a billion, so way more than Twitter. Instagram is 1.5 billion and Facebook is 2.9 billion. And it's like, and so everyone's like, I think part of it is because Twitter has like this air of credibility, which is kind of weird to say, but at least compared to like, you know, Facebook or Instagram, because it's like if a news, like some breaking news happens, you know, we like Engadget or CNN or New York Times. They're going to post that first on Twitter. They're not going to go to Instagram first and talk about, oh, the, you know, war in Ukraine has changed. You know, they're not going to use that Instagram for that. And so that's that's why, like, you know, people care so much about Twitter, even though it's not as popular as a lot of the other social media platforms.
2: Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. It's you know, I think it, it has to do with less on how many people there are and more about who is on there. Right. You know, you have these names, obviously. Trump made it his de facto press secretary. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, Elon Musk. This is essentially his PR arm. Uh, Tesla doesn't have any PR really to speak of. Um, they never did advertising; it's all word of mouth. So that's basically what he's done with this. Um, same same thing with SpaceX and um, uh, the Boring Company. Uh, you know, I think that we we see all of these. Uh, you know, obviously journalists like ourselves are on it, so it kind of gets. I think more of a boost than it does because of that than uh it would for the average person. And the I think the other thing is when you use something like Twitter, uh, you know, outside of again journalists or or uh we're watching it for breaking news all the time, um, you know, in my spare time, I look at Twitter maybe once, but I'm on Instagram or TikTok for a long time just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling so it's you know like user engagement is way lower i think than than on uh, on something like a TikTok or an instagram or you know facebook it, it just has this this wild wild outsized impact compared to its actual size
3: i i do think i think that was like a question i was going to get to too which is that like i think we're in a small circle where we're media people we're tech people we're definitely going to be more on twitter than let's say the average person on the internet, right? Most people, like you guys said, are on Instagram, Facebook more. Uh, But then I've also seen over the weeks since the announcement that Twitter was going to accept that bid, uh, everyone's been like, oh no, I'm going to bounce by Twitter. I'm out. Or people have been complaining about losing followers because I guess the bots are just dying or people have been actually deactivating their accounts. And so there's that sort of sentiment going on here. Carissa, you also wrote... About an open source alternative that's that's supposedly gaining in po- popularity since. Do you think that this will actually become a more mainstream option for people? No. or And right. If, if, yes. <laughs> <but> also, <laughs> Short answer.
1: <laughs> uh, Short answer.
3: Um, long answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Long answer. Are there other alternatives yes. people might consider too?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we are. Like, we are seeing like this. Like, this happens anytime Twitter does something that's controversial, right? Like, it's happened when there's. You know, they change the character limit, or they come out with some new feature, and then people get mad, and then they're like, "I'm going to Mastodon," or "I'm going to," you know, so one of these other services. Like, I think, you know, the Mastodon is interesting because they are open source, or like doing a lot of things that uh, Jack Dorsey and and Twitter has said that they would like to pursue. You know, where they're like this protocol, and you can have different instances, and you can take your followers with you. And so, like, I think that's interesting just from from that perspective. I think it's also just a really niche platform that's not necessarily like that easy to use so like I don't think this is like gonna be what makes like Macedon the next big thing um but you know I think the the broader point that like it does like people when people get unsettled like a lot of people you know they start looking at other platforms we've also seen on the other side of it like Truth Social like Trump's uh social media app has been doing well very very well you know I think that was like the top social media app um you know and it just kind of and then like within Twitter itself, there's been a lot of reporting that um, you know, sort of these like more mainstream or, or left-leaning accounts, I guess, have have lost a lot of followers, while these sort of, you know, uh characters on the right, like um, you know, the Trump Jr. or, you know, Ben Shapiro or like, you know, some of these some of these guys um have have gained a lot of followers. And I guess Twitter said that they think it's um, you know, sort of organic, like people are deactivating and people are joining. Um, you know, I think it's probably a little bit harder to understand, like, just when, you know, follower counts change for like a lot of different reasons, but it is interesting like, and there is, you know, some people who are worried, like maybe there's going to be like this influx of, you know, people who I guess maybe sympathize more with, with the far right and, you know, how that could affect the platform. So it's, um, it's interesting. And Elon has said that he just wants to to piss off
3: the far left and the
0: far right equally. <laughs>
3: I mean, okay, good for him. I guess my last question, because we're kind of out of time, is um, for everyone, starting with Carissa. So, are you going to quit Twitter?
0: I wish I could, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I, uh,
0: I, I'm unfortunately, I, I mean, we will see, we'll see what happens. If it becomes, you know, if it becomes like a like truly toxic dumpster fire, um, you know, I, I maybe I would, but I'm, I'm unfortunately very attached to my my Twitter account.
3: How about you, Dan?
2: I yeah, I'm in the same boat. I wish I wish I could just leave it, you know, just get an uh, just abandon ship entirely. I I, I want to get rid of all social media for myself. I I despise it. I you know, it's just a time sink. I put I need it for work. I need to know what's going on. I have TweetDeck up right now. Right? How like dare I, you? I have,
3: How dare you not give I'm us not your full at attention? <laughs>
2: I'm not looking at it. It's okay. over here. Okay. But I, I, you know, I need that. I, I need to know what's going on with Instagram. If, you know, uh, there's any major updates to it. So I, I have to be on these platforms, but I don't want to be. I don't yeah. want to feel like, you know, whenever I have a free second, you know, walking down the street, but I have to pull out my phone and look at, I don't know, some dumb video of someone falling down or, you know a golden retriever playing with ducks. That's you know, cute. Very cute. Yeah. It's very cute, but it it's just such a time sink. And I mean, Twitter in particular is such just, I mean, mm. it just feels like a wasteland. So I just, I if I could ditch it, I,
1: I absolutely would.
3: Sam, I know you're not on Facebook. Would you?
1: I'm not going to quit Twitter, but I think it's because I don't, I, I, I maybe I'm like, I'm not, I just don't not doom scrolling as much as like everyone else is. And so like, I, I tweet maybe like, once or twice a week and I don't know if it's like just my personality or just like whatever it is it's like I feel like I'm kind of immune to like social media and so like I have an Instagram account I haven't posted in a year maybe two years basically you know to what Carissa and Dan were saying it's like I still use Twitter and mostly it's because I'm following people that like I need to pay attention to or need to cover or companies are announcing things and so that's always going to be important and maybe you know in five six years there will be a new competitor but like You know, I don't because I don't feel like that addiction to social media, it's not something I feel like I need to quit at the same time.
3: I mean, these are all good points. And it's clear that we are not gonna know a lot about what's gonna happen with Twitter until at least after an SEC regulatory approval on the on the buy, and then if Elon ever comes out and says things. So for now, I guess we're just continuing to continuing to keep an eye and maybe hold on to our Twitter accounts for a little bit longer. Um, But anyway, I want to thank you guys, Carissa and Dan for joining us today to go over all of this as it happens. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us from Yahoo finance. Where can people find you online?
2: Uh, You can find me at Daniel Howley uh, on Twitter. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) That sign off has a whole new meaning now, doesn't it?
3: No. (laughs)
1: Uh, And on uh, uh,
2: on Yahoo Finance, I'm uh, usually posting regularly.
3: Gotcha. And Carissa, where can people find you online? Uh,
0: You can find me on Twitter (laughs) as well. Carissa B, maybe soon on Mastodon. Who knows? I,
3: I would love to check out Mastodon after this. Well, thank you both for joining us today. And thank you for your time. So this week on about Tuesday, I want to say Google also released the Android 13 beta one. This is the first like public beta before we were in like developer previews. And I think we were up to like DP, developer preview Two thereabouts. Um, So this is really our first good look at some of the features coming to Android 13. Um, I'm already spending some time testing it out. I can tell you a little bit more about what's new, what to expect, but Sam... Does this public beta, at least from what you've heard so far, does it get you excited at all about Android 13?
1: Not really. I mean, I I feel like (laughs) Android is like, you know, a a very like mature operating system like Windows or Mac OS or iOS. And so there's not as much big issues that Google has left to address. And I've been playing around with it for, you know, about a day. And, um, you know, I haven't really noticed that many changes Um, but you know, uh, uh, like, what do you think, Chilin? Like, are there, are there any like features that like, oh, like this is, I'm like, I've been waiting for this for so long. I haven't, I haven't really gotten that impression.
3: I have not. I will say though, there are surprisingly, like there were more, uh, new tools in this beta than I had expected. Uh, this, when I, like, I got the sense that this wasn't like the most you know, user-facing beta. This was really for developers that might not be yet in the developer program for some reason or don't want to flash an image to their phones um, to, to start really getting their apps and their stuff compatible with this uh, version of Android because I think Google really should get a head start on some of the new features um, and this is one way to do it. I will say there are some new tools uh, and shout out to uh, our Peers, I guess, at Android Police, who've been like eagle-eyed and digging through all of the beta stuff. So there's a new QR scanner. I don't know if you've seen that, Sam. It might be easy to miss. There's a QR code scanner embedded inside the quick settings panel. Now you have to like you have to go all the way into the other options and look for it. So right now, the way QR scanning works for I think most people, most you just just open up the camera
1: app and point your foot camera, which you know, kind of to your point, it's like. Okay, I I I like that. There's like QR like setting that's like not in the right. camera, but it's easier and faster for me to pull up the camera app. So I'm well,
3: not- oh oh yeah yeah. <laughs> so look, QR codes are like even more prevalent now thanks to the pandemic than they were before. Everyone's using it for like contactless menus, right? But the the and yes, I agree that it's faster to just open your camera. But the way QR code scanning works in the camera app right now, it's like you open the viewfinder. It's a live version of the QR code. You kind of like hover, and then when you sort of lock on to the QR code, this tiny little URL bar shows up, and you have to like keep your phone still sort of around the QR code and not have it move too much. And then like you sort make of it sound like target. you're juggling
1: things. It's like it's not that I'm, difficult.
3: Uh, I'm a clumsy, uncoordinated okay, person. Okay. This is what is. Gonna <laughs> I drop my phone a lot, um, but this new QR code scanner. I mean. Once you set it up to be like a shortcut in your quick settings panel, it's pretty easy to access. The second you tap it, it it launches quick. It grabs onto like a QR code, like basically immediately. It's very fast. And then it stops being a viewfinder. It becomes an image of the QR code. So you no longer have to keep aiming. And then the, the, the target button for you to launch the website is much bigger. It's just like a better interface for QR code scanning. However, like we say, like how much of an impact will this make on your life? How many QR codes are people scanning a day that this is going to make that much of a difference? I don't know. I mm.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> and I think the other thing is that like people are have, like Google has sort of already trained people to open up the camera app to find QR codes. Right. And so it's like, it really depends on the user to like how knowledgeable are they going to be about Android 13 in that like they even are, are aware that there's a new QR code feature, which, you know, That I think like this is kind of like a symptom of like the tech world in general is that there are so many new features constantly being added to the products that you already own that like you have to actively like seek out these features or else you're like you know you might not use them at all which is not a bad thing but it's like you know it puts some of the burden on you know the owner to be like oh there's a new software update let me find out what's going on and I you know like maybe it makes us feel more important because like we get to talk about it but like.
3: It's very much like a power user thing, right? Like I think power users are going to be the ones, or the or the very big fans of tech and Android are going to be the ones reading this sort of stuff, and then they'll go around to like, if parties happen again, they'll be like, oh yeah, did you know you could do this with your Android phone? Hey, and then like it's it's like you said, bragging rights on this. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I think for me, I think my favorite new feature is the ability to control your uh, smart home devices from mm-hmm. the lock screen. Um, because mm-hmm. i I'm, i i love smart lights i you know my my house is filled with smart lights and so being able to you know say you don't want to use voice controls like you know someone's watching a movie and you don't want to like bl- you know mess up their time but you do want to adjust the lighting you know it's easier you don't have to unlock your phone you can just do it right from the lock screen menu and i think that's probably for me the biggest user facing change because like you said there are a lot of like developer oriented changes um mm-hmm. that you might not notice if you were just going to load up the beta on your phone, you won't see these features just uh, just going around every day.
3: The the smart home controls thing, I think the big change too is that like, because on Android 12, I also have access to it from the home screen, It's uh, from the lock screen. It's more that like, now you supposedly don't have to sign in first to access your smart right. home controls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's definitely like less of a step. Um, the other thing that I, I personally quite like, but I don't know that it is, again, such a Game changing difference is the media playback box now just looks a lot different. It presents info in a more aesthetic way. Uh, you've got also more options. You've got the progress bar now that allows you to drag and and you know what's the word when you're skipping along a track scrub. but you're not a thank you scrub the scrub the timeline sort of of the of the media um, and it squiggles you know there's a little animation that that it's like waving along with the with the tune so. Yeah. That's kind of nice. It looks nicer and you've got a few more functions. So I actually kind of like it. But this is, I think, barely scratching the surface of what we're going to see in actual Android 13. So for now, I mean, I always have to warn people, if you want to download and install beta software, you better be the sort of person that has a spare phone because this is not going to be very stable. I haven't encountered any real issues, but I've read about a lot of people for whom... This beta has been like just not working, killing their ads. And and we're not
1: expecting, you know, a full official release until the fall. So it's, you know, we're looking at, you know, four or five months of, you know, tuning and, you know, there's going to be more updates. So once again, this is not the final build of Android, you know, just kind of getting a preview of it for, you know, now now that the public beta is available.
3: And also interesting timing, because what is it, like in two weeks, we'll get Google I.O., where we're expecting to hear more about Android 13, at the very least, like big things coming to Android 13. But hey, segue alert, yeah. we're also potentially going to see Google's long-awaited, long-heralded Pixel Watch. We've we've heard about this, God, like years and years now, Sam. I, I feel like when I was at my last job, I heard about a Pixel <laughs> Watch.
1: Yeah, they, like... This has been the most long-awaited thing. It's it's nice to, like, finally see some signs that it's like, oh, it might actually arrive and maybe Mm -hmm. won't be too far from now, hopefully.
3: The... The the uh, rumor mill is kind of conflicted on the timing. Some people are thinking it's going to be at I.O. Some people are thinking, no, maybe they're going to save it for later in the year. So fall event. Here's, here's what has happened, though, right? We've seen that Google has trademarked the name Pixel Watch uh, fairly recently. And also someone, <laughs> as if it's 20, 2008 or something, left a prototype of the Google Pixel Watch at a restaurant. Yep. And uh, a bartender picked it up or something, held onto it for something like four weeks, and then, yeah, hit up Android Police Authority, an Android blog, and was like, here you go, we have pictures of this thing, we found it. So, so that's another indication that this is real and coming we just don't exactly know officially when yet sam does this make you laugh i just feel like
1: i mean okay so as a former gizmodo employee who got in big big trouble back in the day for uh you know someone found an iphone 4 at a bar and the eic of gizmodo bought it and then tried to just you know ran some stories about it and then Tried to bargain with Steve Jobs about and Steve Jobs obviously very wanted it back and we didn't Gizmodo didn't really want to give it back and then they eventually yeah, yeah. did but uh, that um, you know it was it was a whole saga I mean I don't think you know whoever found it this time tried to like uh, barter with Sundar Pichai for like uh, you know return of the Pixel Watch but it's you know it's just <laughs> silly how like you know. Like, all these companies talk so much about security, but, like, you know, if someone's out testing a device and they just forget it, like, now it's just in the wild.
3: I uh, have two stories to add. One is that, in direct response to that, Sam, I can't say how I know this, but I feel like a lot of people at Google are, like, allowed to test these things out and then just kind of, like, walk around with them, right? So, yeah, that security question is, like, who are they trusting to have one of these for testing and then how how stringent are they being with measures i know like when i used to test like something like fitbit devices before embargo fitbit would even supply me with like a little
1: C- a wrist case strap. right so like a, yeah disguise the yeah the yeah. upcoming device i mean it's always hard right because you know at some point you do have to take these things out because like a smartwatch, you got to test battery life yeah you know so you yeah. have to wear it for more than you're at the office or, you know, you want to test, like, sleep tracking features or activity features. You know, these are things that you kind of need to bring them outside of, you know, that the Google campus to really get a sense of. And so, you know, usually, like like you said, we, we don't really start to hear about these things until it gets closer to release. So that, you know, is kind of a good sign that, like... Maybe we'll see it at IO, but at least definitely something this year.
3: Right. It's definitely, like, branched outside of the, like, upper echelon that maybe, like, Sundar was the first one to test it. And then, like, now they're seeding it to, like, you know, less senior uh, 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 employees to be able to do that. Uh, My last thing about this is just, yeah, you're right, Sam, when you brought up that Gizmodo story, we... At Engadget, I think uh, it was the Pixel Five or something, where we came across a seller in Hong Kong that was just that had received units <laughs> early and was yeah. just selling them before before the fall event. Just like here, you go, have at it. And I don't know, so we didn't end up actually paying for this unit. We didn't buy it. We had like our reporter who's based in Hong Kong went and shot video of it and like took photos and did a sort of hands-on. So. Yeah, there's a lot of points of failure for things that like this to happen, and I guess we might see the Pixel Watch at I.O. soon. Now, uh, for the last thing, I think, in our other news segment... Oh, no, second last thing. I, I saw a feature, Smart Workout Mirror, um, last week, and the, and the article actually published this week uh, on Tuesday, I believe, basically... It's a smart workout mirror. It's it's a 43-inch screen embedded into, like, a long looking glass. Uh, and you can look at yourself while you work out. But also, uh, it will use a camera that's embedded in sort of the bottom half of the screen to count your reps, monitor your form, that sort of thing. So, I, I mean... I've become sort of like a fitness enthusiast. Uh, is
1: is your t- is your technique getting better? Are you like God? You my know, form is, is your form so on point. <laughs> okay, are you are you doing the like you know one two three four negative like making sure to like uh, do the whole positive and negative range of motion?
3: I I mean I try to. So I used to do a lot of this on my own. I spent like the whole sl- of last year really doing this on my own, and then now I've just joined a new gym thing it's like I, i'll talk about it another time but the trainers there are very much like these are the sets that you have to do and and they yeah they involve the full range of motion and there's a lot going on but i i feel like if you if you have time go check out the video on Engadget's gadgets youtube and you can tell me if my form is good or not how are my guns well not actual guns but you know how are my buys and tries and delts uh pretty i think they're pretty okay um And then for the last thing in the other news section this week, Sam. Yes. I have a surprise question for you.
1: I saw that. Now I'm worried.
3: Sam, tell me how you feel about Motorola's endless rehash of phones.
1: Ah, right. Okay. (laughs) So, yes. So, last week, I I, uh, published an op-ed talking about how I just feel like Motorola needs to slow down. They're just releasing too many phones. And the thing about it is that, like, releasing a lot of phones is one thing if they're all very different, but a lot of Motorola's recent releases are incredibly similar. You know, I know, I like, I, I noted that in the piece that, like, Moto, they came out with a Moto 5, uh, a Moto G, a new Moto G, and then they came out with a Moto G 5G, which is, like, pretty close to, not exactly the same phone, slightly different, but it's, like, they come out with one phone without 5G, and just so they can release another one that's very similar with 5G, like, four or five months later. And then, like, you know, just recently, they released the second Moto Stylus 5G, in like less than six months. And it's just like, and to me, the big problem is like, you know, Motorola is the third biggest smartphone maker in the in the US. And so like even, even more than Google. And so um, like, I feel like they really need to focus on just really building a quality product. And I think part of it is if you look at like LG exiting the cell phone business, I think Motorola was able to scoop up a lot of that market share. And they're like, oh, let's just flood the market and like let's let's try to get as many short-term sales as possible. And that's nice from like a business perspective, but like I think it really stands the chance of you know rubbing the consumer raw. And it's like they feel just like they've been inundated with too many things. And then on top of that, I'm really concerned about Motorola's like uh software support because as a company policy, Motorola is only doing one Android up major Android update for the G series, and maybe you get two years of security updates sometimes not even that and even on the flagship like the uh, the moto uh, edge plus that i reviewed recently you're getting two years of software updates which is like not even close to the three years that google is doing for the pixel 5 series or the four years that samsung is doing for their phones or apple which is like you know has long been the best in the game when it comes to supporting old devices
3: right i look i think not only is this kind of like confusing for the user it's also it feels to me anyway like it's incredibly wasteful the idea of like update cycles being shorter i think was something that when oneplus started doing the t version of their of their flagships they were like oh yeah why can't we be quicker and stuff i was just like well isn't it kind of waste flight is the idea that someone needs to update their phone every six months. I don't think that's necessarily the idea, but if you put out a better phone just six months after you just released your like so-called best phone of the year, there are people that are out there. that's going to be like, Oh, maybe that's the phone I want now. And they're going to consider upgrading. And then you also like you, like we were talking about the confusion, you're introducing a lot of like uncertainty around when someone should make that purchasing decision. Like when should they go to their local carrier and be like, I want the next Moto Motorola phone. Not that I think anyone really out there is well, clamoring for a phone. I mean, but
1: like, and then the, to your point, it's like some of the phones, the Moto phones that people are like the most interesting Moto phones, like the, like the foldable Razor, that hasn't yeah. been updated yeah. in a while. Meanwhile, Samsung is like, you know, they're not flooding the market at all, but like they're coming out with regular updates that have noticeable improvements. And yes. so it's like, you know, it's weird to see Moto flood the flood the market on the low end and then on the high end like the Moto Edge Plus I I still maintain that it's wildly overpriced and then we haven't gotten a, like a real update to the the Razer in a year yeah. and a half and it's like yeah what's what's going Look, on
3: We've got people in the YouTube live chat here like Danny Leong who agree who like say that Moto's releases are confusing we have got Brian Mitchell asking a very good important question why does the Moto stylus even exist
1: <laughs> I mean I'm not I'm not <laughs> upset at the Moto stylus existing because I think it's nice to have you know, a, a phone that has style support that's not made by Samsung, that's fine. Yeah. But like, yeah. you know, I, like in in the other, but you like, you have to add features. You can't just be like, let's add 5G. And by the way, not millimeter wave 5G, just sub 6 oh. 5G and then slap a 5G tag on it and call it a day. And it's like that, it's really frustrating. And then, you know, there are even smaller issues like the most recent uh, Moto G 5G, which is incredibly mm. annoying mm. to say. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, doesn't doesn't have an NFC chip on it, so if you want to use stuff like Google Pay, you just can't. And then if you move up slightly, you know, pay a little bit more for the Moto G Stylus 5G, that one does have NFC, but it's like, you know, why NFC should be a basic feature on every phone? Like yes. that's that's kind of non negotiable at this point, as yes. far as I'm concerned.
3: Any sort of contactless payment method, I think, needs to be like basically. Ma- expected if not mandatory at this point. Uh quick shout out then to also like dude named Charlie who was saying that yeah, the Motorola phone names themselves are confusing and you're exactly right when you said Moto G5G. What what is that like a TikTok dance of a name? It's like different steps to like a thing. I don't even Moto we, we rant about companies a bunch, right? We talked about how Samsung has made too many phones, and, and I think they, they've taken heed. Uh, you had a really good op-ed about OnePlus fairly recently where they're just not the company that, you know, people mm-hmm. might have loved from the start anymore. And now we've got Moto. I, don't, I think we're seeing a trend in Android phone makers not really understanding what to do moving forward and, and trying to, in such a mature market, still trying to do things differently and... You know then we've got poor poor sad stories like poor LG <laughs> saying goodbye it's 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 a really interesting time
1: people are holding on to their phones longer than they have oh before gosh, yeah. so it's like even more important to like not kind of try to like piecemeal your consumers you want you want everyone to like when they get a new device they want to feel like you know they got their money's worth and when you know there's a new new phone coming out every three months, you don't re- really get that same sensation.
3: Well, we'll keep an eye out on, obviously, the Android market. I'm sure we'll see more rants coming from you, Sam. I love when you go on a <laughs> phone company rant. And it's one of the best things ever. Um, but yeah, no, if you're out there rocking a Moto phone and you, you're you like a big fan of Motorola, hey, send us an email at podcastengadget.com with your thoughts. I, I'd love to hear why, actually. <laughs> So let's move on to what we're working on this week. Sam, tell me all about your workload.
1: Um, there's you know a lot of laptops coming out. Um, so mm-hmm. I have the Razer Blade 15. I'm working on that review. Um, you know they haven't changed much with the design, but new internals, new uh, GPU, new CPU, always nice. Um, and then uh, Dell just announced that the XPS uh, 13 Plus is uh, on sale today, I believe. So we're looking to get that in shortly. Um, not sure who exactly is going to be doing that review, but, you know, any change to the XPS 13, which has been, like, the best Windows mm-hmm. laptop for a decade, uh, is mm-hmm. always going to be big news. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I also have Lenovo's uh, flagship yoga system, so, you know, hopefully to be taking a look at that. And then, you know, before we know it, Go- Google I.O. is going to be here, and that's going to be a whole other thing, yeah.
3: Yup. I mean, Sam... You're doing a lot, I'm just going to say. <laughs> Thank you for doing so much hard work.
1: <laughs> well, what As- uh, what are you working on in your wheelhouse?
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, like we just published that Fitness Mirror hands-on. I am also working on the Android 13 beta. That should be up today, tomorrow. So you can check it out on uh, Engadget.com or the YouTube channel. Uh, And then some secrets that I can't really talk about for a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Also, earnings season. We're in the thick of it. I've got Apple's earnings later today to cover. Um, I'm very depressed at the stock market. Uh, Yeah, and I... Like, you know,
1: we're not like a, you know, a financial outlet, but I think it's like a lot of people are looking to the Apple earnings to be like, oh, if Apple like misses their predictions, like, are we in a a bear market now?
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of people and that that does kind of affect like, you know, the pace of, you know, change and stuff. And it's like, you know, if a lot of the big fang or manga or however you want to like label them, companies like are just kind of having like an off, you know, off earnings. You know, that that can affect, you know, what those companies release as far as like, you know, consumer products um, down the line.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, if they have an off quarter, who knows how it'll impact their product line. So we're, we're paying attention to that too. And then like Sam said, we've got, gosh, we've got Google I.O. coming up. We've also got a flurry of activity around the week of May 10th, May 9th. We've got all kinds of summits. We've got all kinds of events. So so I'm I'm just pre-stressing out about all of that. Um. But around in gadget, we've got other um, stories from our team that we want to highlight as per usual. Our editor-in-chief, Dana Woolman, just published her guide to the best wireless workout headphones that you can buy. So check it out. Dana is a marathoner. She is also like a running coach. Her advice, I would take. Um, Dan Cooper wrote about Spotify's earnings, which I kind of just talked about his earnings season. But Dan had like a really great take on it, which is that Spotify still grew despite the Joe Rogan boycotts and the closures in Russia. So... What's what's Spotify doing, right? I don't know. We've talked about Spotify on this show before. We're not going to give them too much more time. Um, Steve Dent also reviewed the Panasonic Lumix GH6 Uh, for us. This is basically like a vlogging workhorse, he said. Um, It doesn't have face detect autofocus still which seems odd to me for a camera in 2020. Panasonic has
1: has been a little slower to adopt face detection uh, compared to some of the other companies. And it works out for them, but like, yeah, it's you you kind of wish it was there.
3: Yeah, it, it doesn't really impact too much. I think for images, it's still, or was it for video or for images, it was still okay. Um, but Steve gets into all of that nitty gritty. You can check out his review. All right, Sam, Uh, I see we were just talking a little bit about, you know, what if Twitter saga here became a movie, right? But we've also seen a whole vein of like tech startup movies or shows recently. We got We Crashed. We got Dropout. Uh, I was watching Inventing Anna, which is not tech, but it is similar, like a based on real events sort of story. Um, I've loved those shows. But what would you tell people to watch if they were trying to take a break from all of that?
1: Okay, so not not tech startup related um, mm-hmm. I think I, I just finished uh, the foundation on uh, Apple TV plus. Uh, like for me, sci-fi is like my main jam like I'm like I'm always on the lookout for new sci-fi stuff and weird like like you know, I loved I, I, I read a ton of sci-fi too, and for some reason, the foundation's trilogy is the one that I just never missed like, I, I mean I just kind of missed growing up and so I was able to go into it without having any like preconceptions or prior knowledge. And I thought it was pretty good. Obviously, it's tough to adapt a series as big as Foundation, but I think they did a really good job. And I really liked Lee Pace um, as, like, the Emperor. I think he did an incredible job. And the the actress who played Salvor Hardin was really, really good. And I'm not sure I've seen her in anything before. And I really liked her performance as well. But it's, like, it's a very, like, heady thing because you're talking about, like, you know – a, uh, a trilogy that spans like hundreds of years and like has an emperor that has like a genetic dynasty which is like just a really like crazy concept to think about
3: i i mean i don't even i see like i've seen it on apple TV plus i don't know if i i haven't ever watched it i don't know of the series the novels as well but what is this? this looks more like a fantasy series than it is hard sci-fi
1: it, it's very it's very sci-fi there's a little bit of fantasy but it's like Basically, the the premise is that there is a empire that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, and it's led by this genetic uh, uh, dynasty, which has one guy who has cloned himself, so it's three people, and there's uh, like a day and a night and like a dusk. Um, uh, or, or morning, day, and dusk versions of each person. So there's one person who's like a kid. There's one person who is like an adult, like midlife, and there's an older version. And they like f- come together to make this like joint empire, and they are in control. And then there's you know a new guy. Uh, and and, and so the big conflict is that one guy kind of predicts that the empire is going to fall, and obviously the empire does not like this. And it kind of and this is like they haven't even dived into like the whole saga yet. Um, but like they're they're kind of exploring. It's like how how do you govern a, sci- a like a, a an empire that spans thousands of light years, thousands of years time wise? And it's just like it's a really I, I kind of like that you know philosophical um, kind of thinking about it um, as it applies to science fiction and you know future.
3: I might give it a watch. Dang. Okay. Are you done with Foundation? Are you moving on to a new series? Oh yes.
1: Uh, so I just finished Foundation. That was great. Um, you, you all, you, you have too many surprises for me. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm trying to decide what I move on to next. And I think right now I kind of decided on Peacemaker. Uh, I've mm-hmm. heard a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the Suicide Squad, the most recent Suicide Squad movie. And I actually think uh, Peacemaker is a great role for John Cena who has like, you know, long kind of like been dancing around with his acting jobs and has made a lot of cameos and other stuff and has been in movies before. But I think this role is like really perfectly suited to like his acting range and demeanor and all that. And, you know, I think it's I think it'll be good. Um, So I haven't I haven't started it yet, but uh, maybe this weekend.
3: It's uh, it's out there. It's. I don't know if it's raunchy is the right word, but I enjoyed yeah, it yeah. too. I'm sure you guys will too. Um, for me, I, I have a lot of things I could talk about, but this weekend, I think, uh, I finally watched A Quiet Place Part 2, um, which has been out, I think, for a while. I just finally got around to, to watching it. And it as a sequel, it is. I liked it a lot um it's you know in the first one i don't want to spoil it for anybody but one of the characters doesn't make it um there is there is they show up for a part of this and like sort of flashback stuff but then you know i thought that without that character this show would lose some of its heart but it really doesn't i think they've managed to move the story forward um as you know, those of you who are not familiar with the show, the original uh, premise is that this, you know, the world has been invaded by these alien creatures that have heightened sense of hearing. And so now the whole world is just quiet. The protagonists of the story are a family with a child that has a hearing aid. And so they all have some form of understanding of sign language um and they they're able to communicate with with sign language as well and it's just just such a great premise because like it's everything's quiet every little bit of sound will will like just scare you to death and this show has just a lot more this the sequel has a lot more characters that move the story a lot forward i like is killian murphy or cillian murphy how do you think it's cillian Yeah, I don't. I don't know, but Cillian's with a C. Murphy is in it too. He does a really great job for the first half of the show. I was like, is he Benedict Cumberbatch? Like, what's going on here? But well, then Okay, I, okay hold, then on.
1: I, <laughs> hold on. Hold on, dude. Those two people do not. Look I any- know.
3: I I realize this, but but for he's very bearded and has a cap on. Like for the first half of the show. So for I like didn't look at the cast list before I I started streaming. So I was like who the hell this is a familiar person and and yeah i know it's Celia murphy um but th- this brings to mind like i don't know one of the first horror movies that terrified me was tremors sam have you ever seen tremors
1: uh, okay i didn't think you were gonna go there i love tremors because tremors it's like so a great b movie i'm mm-hmm. not like i know you're like a huge horror film buff um i like that movie just because it's like weird and like Kind of like low quality, but like I think the performances are really good. Like Kevin Bacon is actually crushes in that movie, and it's like the monsters in that movie are so silly. But like it's actually like kind of like a horror comedy to me. And right, right. Tremors is like one of my like favorite like all time great cult hit like B movies. Uh,
3: Yeah,
1: I was yeah fantastic. I
3: I know it's surprising, but I I I I recommend it to everybody.
1: Everyone go watch Tremors.
3: Everyone should watch Tremors. The reason I bring it up is because I, when I watched Tremors, I, I think I was a kid. I was like maybe 10, 11. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But then I missed all of the like nuanced acting stuff, right? It was really the idea of the monster that like stayed with me. And so I think for like weeks, I had the Jaws effect where like I couldn't walk on the ground unless like, you know, I was like, oh, no, they'll hear my footsteps. Yeah. Um, playing playing AQP, Floor floors Lava. Exactly. Basically, floor is lava for my life after I watched Tremors. Um, But A Quiet Place has that sort of sensation where you're like immersed in this world so much that it stays with you afterwards and you kind of want to remain silent. So anyway, if you're interested in that sort of environment or, you know, you're feeling something a little less upbeat (laughs) this, this weekend, I guess you can check out A Quiet Place, too. Well, that's it for this episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sam online at...
1: At Sam Rutherford or obviously on Engadget.com.
3: Yeah, if you need to tell me all the reasons to get off of Twitter, (laughs) I'm at Sherlin Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on your podcast catcher of choice.